I even got a Beyonce quote in there. So, <laughs> well played. Brought to you by Island. This is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we bring together panels of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the concerns customers have with their current investments when introducing the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm the Director of Cloud Market Intelligence for Island, and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes an international collection of perspectives. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introducing themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering concerns about their existing investments when moving into the cloud. Hi, I'm Jim Millard, and I'm a solution engineer with VMware. And as far as my thoughts about moving into the cloud, old hardware gets old. Go to the cloud anytime you're ready to do it. My name is Christian Moon. I work for Proact in Norway as a chief technologist for the SDC practice of consultants we have there. I'm also the tech lead for that team of consultants. As far as the cloud goes, I mean, Jim was onto something there. Something gets old at some point, anytime. So whenever you're ready, move on. Hi, my name is Arjen Tumerman. I'm an independent in the Netherlands working for multiple companies as an IT slash cloud architect. And I agree with the speakers before me in a sense that hardware gets old, move to uh, the cloud whenever you're ready. Thank you all for joining me. Most customers are looking for the cloud to enhance or replace on-premises infrastructure that they already own. So it is understandable that businesses may be concerned with what to do with the assets they've already invested in. Some may not simply want to dispose of those assets if they still have a usable remaining life. But fortunately, the cloud is all about options. Aryan, does adopting cloud have to be an all or nothing migration or are there ways to utilize existing physical assets while still utilizing the cloud? Yeah, from my perspective, it's all about the hybrid world, uh, to put it in those words. What I see with a lot of my customers is that there, there's a lot of cloud first in the smaller to mid-size market. A lot of the organizations that want to focus on what they're good at, and a lot of my customers are in the healthcare and that kind of environments, are looking at how can we really leverage the cloud for what it is. And we don't want to be a data center provider to our customers. So from that perspective, I understand that you're really focused on getting everything to the cloud. And a lot of them are doing that already and are looking at, okay, how can we do that? What public cloud are we going to use? What are the things that we really need to focus on? And what partners can help us with that? On the enterprise market, I see a different thing, and that's more of a hybrid approach to the cloud in which they will look at what they already have on premises, extend on that, but make sure that they get the right tools to move some of their infrastructure into the cloud where it fits best. So that's my perspective on what's going on. Looking at investments, it really matters for what kind of company you are, I guess. I'm working with a customer right now that's into 
care and they really want to move everything to the cloud because for them, keeping a data center is too much money and it is also too much work for them to do. So they want to move as much as they can into the cloud. From that perspective, they do it from a Azure. Uh, they want to go into Azure and they will try to move as much into a SaaS offering as possible, but what they cannot do or what will not happen before all the hardware is written off, they will do into an EAS in the Microsoft Azure environment. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the same kind of things. There's a lot of sunken expenditure sitting around the data centers around the world, basically, and we see that in Norway as well. Most, if not everyone, kind of wants to utilize what they already invested in as far as it makes sense to do so. So it's not an all or nothing approach. If I was starting a new company today, I might do everything cloud-based, but the reality is that most of us have some kind of technical debt we have to adhere to at some point or at least continue to manage and not just throw it away. So we're seeing a lot of customers here doing small things in cloud, moving some parts over. There are also a lot of hybrid stuff going on with using AWS or Azure as their kind of public-facing part of uh, load balancing and doing authentication and stuff like that, and then still using applications and services that run on-premises as well in combination with whatever flexibility they get from the cloud provider. So it's not an all-or-nothing approach. It's not uh, one-size-fits-all. It depends on your application. And as a good consultant, my answer is always it depends. Yeah, I'd chime in with the it depends is a huge piece to that. And when it comes to dealing with your existing technical debt, whether that's an older emplacement or something that you've put in relatively new, it does come back to what are the applications and what are you trying to provide as a service to whether you consider them users or constituents or whatever. What we're seeing at VMware is kind of three different types of cloud migrations. We've got the net new where a new application is coming in, whether it's been developed in-house or being acquired and where the technology permits it, the option to put it in a cloud environment is available. We've also got the places where people are migrating to whatever the cloud native platform is. So their existing physical or virtual environments are being vacated, replatformed so that they're running in whichever cloud provider they're choosing. And they're finding that while that works, it's more time consuming. To be frank, the most time consuming is writing the new applications or bringing the new applications in. But in addition to that hybrid approach, we at VMware, of course, are very proud of the fact that we have the ability to support VMware-based infrastructure in all of the majors worldwide, as well as whatever you'd want to do on-premises. So you have those it-depends options that relate more toward the functionality of the application, the user experience, the people consuming those applications, as opposed to what you're doing with the physical hardware. So with that joy of VMware virtualization, as you have old gear coming off support and you need to get rid of it, as I said at the introduction, you just get rid of it, make it go away. And then you have the choice of bringing in new hardware on-premises, consuming some sort of VMware cloud resource in one of the majors that you would already be partnered with, or you can go the longer routes of replatforming or rebuilding 
those applications. But it all depends on what the needs of the users of the application have. Yeah. And I think that's always been the key in, in all these conversations on these different podcast episodes has been one, it depends because that's always the right answer. And two, it becomes the make sure you understand your application, make sure you understand what's going to work best for that application. And definitely the do lift and shift first and then look at re-architect, re-factor, re-platform, all those different R's become options at that point. One of the main goals a lot of customers do have is to get out of the data center altogether. And a lot of times they may still have those resources that aren't old. They're not ready to get rid of them or they haven't figured out how they're going to shift things over into the cloud. So they still have those assets. And a lot of different cloud data centers do offer co-location. Maybe not the big three, but you know, smaller providers like Island do provide some co-location capabilities with customers so that they can put their own physical investments next to their cloud investments. Christian, you sort of touched on this a little bit, but maybe you can dig a little bit deeper and talk about how customers can use this option to protect those physical investments that they've made on premises and still make them relevant in a, we want to get out of the data center scenario. Yeah, I actually had a discussion with a customer here today where they're actually looking to, uh, they are moving and they don't want to build a data center in their new location and they want to migrate everything away. They came to us asking if we could host a bunch of their stuff in our hybrid cloud uh, solution with product, which is VMware-based. Um, they're running on VMware locally as well. So migrating all of the virtual assets would be no big deal at all. But they also have a few specialized physical servers left. They have also a pretty large Citrix farm with, I think it was over 300 specialized applications for their specific business, right? And all of that can be moved into a one-size-fits-all kind of cloud-based whatever. It's uh, They have a lot of researchers who have made their own applications and one of two users for each, and they need to support this somehow. And they're looking to actually physically move their physical servers that are still left and not virtualized, and then move all of that into our data center and place it next to the hybrid cloud offering that we offer them as well. So they get the best of both worlds. They want to get rid of the hardware dependencies they have. They don't want to manage it anymore. They don't want to do all the tinkering with firmware and biases and all of that stuff, but they still need the applications that run on them. So they're doing actually the exact same thing. They're moving, looking to move everything away, but still keep control of it. So that's one way of doing it, right? And you can move whatever you fits and then co-locate the rest that isn't available for refactoring in a short time frame. Yeah, I think we see the same here. What I'm seeing is that it kind of depends on what kind of company you're talking with. So we've got companies that are actually doing it that way. So looking at, okay, I don't want a data center and I don't want, I want the hardware to be moved as close to a cloud provider that I'm using or the public cloud, the, the big ones. And there's multiple options for that. But like I already mentioned, there is also a lot of companies that still have their own data centers or are building new ones. Actually, I had a big enterprise a year or two ago that built three large data centers, one in Supernap in Vegas, because they wanted to be as close to 
the big pipes to everything from that perspective. So it really depends on what kind of companies you're talking to. And I totally agree on the fact that if it's needed, do that. But if you don't need that and you want to go to a cloud first or you want to go all into the cloud, you can make that happen as well. It's just a choice that you have to make, taking into account the applications you have and what you can and want to do with them. That does bring together an interesting conundrum that you may want to use one of the hyperscalers for most of your stuff and you're leaving these other pieces that are going to go into colo and dealing with the lease line difference between them, whether you're doing direct connects or VPN, having a co-location facility that is reasonably close from a, a data distance standpoint could be critical, especially if, say, it's the space that I work in principally is government. And so you still actually run into old mainframes that are being used for government services and have been for what seems like decades. Those could be moved to tiles in a co-location facility just to get away from the ping power and cooling aspects of running your own data center. But is it going to be close enough to where the applications that rely on it run if you know, your local co-location is your city, but where you're putting the application from a cloud standpoint is across the country? In Europe, that may be a smaller consideration because the geographic distances are smaller, therefore light speed distance is smaller. But in the U.S., it can be very large. So where does that fall out in your calculations? Is your provider going to have good enough connectivity to let those applications even permit you not just on the colo side, but even the cloud migration piece between your on-premises data center and where you would like to have these publicly or client-facing applications live? Interesting challenge. Yeah, I've always said that that's the big difference between the US and Europe. In Europe, you most of the customers tend to go to a data center that's at least in the country. And if not, it will probably be in Germany because they have regulations that are even stricter than most countries in Europe. But you want to be as close to the data as possible. And that's not only for being as close to the data as possible, that's also making sure that you have all the regulations that you need to have fit into that particular part. So that perspective, and that's really something that's different from the US. It's such a large country that, like you mentioned, if you live in California and you have a data center or your application is in New York, that's a complete different ball game as what we have here in Europe. Well, and while the distance may be greater there, we are getting to the point in the States where California is developing their own regulations that could make data protection more strict. So it's an interesting country, to say the least. Agreed. Also, one of the uh, good things about being a local provider in Norway as well is we're not part of the EU. So that also makes it a bit different in our perspective as well. And a lot of our, our customers are, it might be true or not, but they're main goal is we need to keep the data inside of the Norwegian borders. Many times it might actually not be the case that they are required to do that, but that's kind of where they come from initially. So for us, offering something locally here makes a lot of sense because, well, Microsoft is here with Azure, but AWS is in Sweden, but they're not in Norway directly. So 
that puts us in an interesting place as well by also offering the co-location thing that we actually talked about. So it's a, always a moving target with regulations and borders and EU versus the US and all of those regulation things as well. Yeah, we're seeing exactly the same thing, to be honest. It's almost all of them want to be in the Netherlands. So AWS is not a big thing here because it's in Germany. And you can argue about if that's good or not good, but most of the companies want to stay in the Netherlands. So, and I think that's for most of the countries in Europe, especially for Germany, by the way, they want to be in Germany. So yeah, totally agree on that one. Yeah, we've definitely seen that having a data center in the Netherlands, it can be limiting with the other countries in the EU. And I think we're touching on another important place where the cloud comes into play pretty heavily, especially in some of these smaller countries where you, if you want to do disaster recovery, the distance spread you need to have can make a big difference there too. And can be really challenging for customers with physical assets, with physical data centers. So Jim, maybe you can touch a little bit on how cloud-based solutions like disaster recovery as a service or backup as a service or object storage can be used to protect those on-premises assets that the customers aren't ready to get rid of. You know, they're not old, they're not ready to cycle those out. Sure, DR is a fantastic use case for cloud because when done correctly, we're really talking about an insurance policy. It's something that we're going to practice, right? It's not just enough to plan, but you have to actually put the plan into action, validate that it works, make sure it's updated. But if you're doing that, even regularly, you're still dealing with resources that are getting consumed during that exercise, and then you don't need them for the rest of the time the world lives. So doing all of it with your own gear and your own premises is a pretty significant lift from a financial standpoint. So why not attempt to use some shared or cloud resource that you're only getting charged for when the meter is running? seems like a no-brainer when we talk about good insurance policies. Only get charged when you need it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing a lot of that here as well. Initially, a lot of the uh, backups or disaster recovery as a service things start out as DR or backup projects. And then it kind of evolves into an actual secondary data center based on that data anyway. Because once you have the data there, why not start using it if you can? And then you slowly grow into the uh, provider's uh, data center instead of your own. And then you can start actually decommissioning stuff locally as well. So that's also a strategy for moving, pretty much starting with a disaster recovery as a service, and then slowly just migrate off the old hardware as well. So that's also a way of, of doing that. Yeah, that's one of the primary ways we migrate customers into our IaaS platform is by essentially building a one-time use DR plan, fail them over, and now they're just running IaaS. Yeah, I'm actually not seeing that that much. I do see that a lot of the backup will move to the as-a-service. Yeah, that happens, especially when you bring into account Microsoft 365 and things like that, when they already have to think about how am I going to back up those things and what is needed for that? And then comes the point of archiving stuff and all that kind of stuff that's going on with backup. And and then they are going to think about, okay, what am I going to do with the backup? But I'm not seeing that much DRAS, to be honest, in my part of what I'm doing as a consultant slash architect. That's interesting. The other option in that scenario is to flip it on its head is to 
go ahead and move stuff into the cloud using a DR as a service type of a one-time shot, like you said that Island does for some of the migrations, but keep your newest on-prem stuff up and running and use that as DR. You may be able to have a some of the advantages of both the cloud aspects that we talked about earlier, but you also have this, I've got things on-premises, hands-on. If something happens with my cloud connectivity, I've still got the ability to manage and touch my gear. And I've already got essentially the built-in workspace for people to come to and utilize the equipment during DR, which again, it tips it on its head of what we would normally think of as DR as a service. But there could be some advantages to that if you've already got those hardware sunk costs that you're not ready to get rid of is keep them around for DR. That's an interesting take on it. You can also then then pretty much prolong your already, as you said, sunken cost and keep that around for a while longer because, well, you just need it when you need it, right? So it's an interesting thing to kind of take everything on premises, move it out, and then use your existing site as a DR site. I haven't seen anyone do that, but that's a really interesting idea. Well, to me, it's kind of an obvious extension of the traditional I own two data centers, I own two sets of equipment, and when all my production equipment gets long in the tooth, old, ready for replacement, I flip that over to my DR environment, put the new equipment in its place, and you keep cycling through hardware that way. Well, at some point in what you laid out, Jim, it sounds like you just essentially, instead of flipping the hardware from one site to the other, you flip the workloads out to the cloud and then use your existing data center as, as the DR location. Now you get rid of that second site altogether. Correct. And then once your local site ages out far enough, you have the business decision of do we upgrade and update this hardware or do we work with our cloud provider to provide a second availability zone so that we're handling the whole DR for the DR people or you know, cloud sometimes fails. So you have to have some way of making sure that you've got availability in those scenarios. Yes. Everything fails at one point. Just hopefully not at the same time. No, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you touched on one important one that hopefully most people have heard the drumbeat of at this point, which is even if you move your email to 365, you still need to have a way to back it up because Microsoft is going to give you some protection of that data, but not the typical 321 type of protection that we're used to doing on-premises. And that's just one example among many in the cloud of why you still need to, as individual companies, consider protecting the data you put in the cloud. Actually, I heard a very interesting thought on that one today where we talked about retention labels. So you could actually, if you look at it from a email perspective, actually from a data perspective, by putting labels on it, you could actually do a backup from that part because if you have a label on it, it will not be deleted. It will be found in the Microsoft realm once even some part is deleted. It can be brought back because of the labels. I didn't know it and I need to look into it, but that's what they told me today, uh, one of the Microsoft partners. Yeah, there's definitely opportunity to protect data at some level. Yep. And every company has to decide if that's enough is really what it comes down to. And it comes to SLAs for restore times. Yep. Yep. That's part of it. The Point, Arian, that you said they can find it somewhere. Okay, how long is it going to take? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Probably longer as um, 
if you had a backup and could put it back yourself? Well, and that's assuming that the platform is there to restore it too. I mean, we've seen 365 outages and I don't mean this to derive 365 at all, but if they're down, all of your backup data is with them, your backup data is down as well. Do you have a way to get to that data if it's still on that same platform? So that's where I was getting at with the 321 piece of it. Yep. That labeling thing kind of sounds like a Beyonce lyric. <laughs> if, you, if you liked it, then you should have put a label on it. Well, that seems like a good note to end on. When it comes down to it, many companies are using the hybrid model. So no one should think that everything has to go up at once. It's not an all or nothing proposition. Even if you have a cloud first approach, you know, your cloud first approach could be anything new. Anything that needs to be cycled is going to cycle first to cloud if possible. But the key thing is, is to keep in mind that every application is different, where your users are, are different. So you need to keep latency, application connectivity, cost of licensing, all these things in mind, not only what the end state is going to be, but also as you're doing the migration. And migration is a whole other episode by itself because there's a lot to that. And it's important as you're investigating different cloud providers, keep in mind that smaller cloud providers can provide an extra level of flexibility that can allow customers to utilize existing investments to be able to do that kind of co-location, to be able to do more flexibility around DR and backup and things like that. When you have applications that can't be virtualized or can't run on a cloud platform, you know, it's all about time and money and making a decision based on cost benefit there. And when it comes to assets that you need to maintain because you've sunk costs into them or the application simply can't move off of them, the paper use of cloud can be very attractive for your backup and DR of that environment while you still maintain those on-premises or in a colo. On the other hand, I really like the conversation about using on-premises infrastructure to protect a cloud environment using you know, DR backup. You know, if you want to maintain a copy on premises, but you don't necessarily want to be running production on premises, that can be a really good option for being able to protect that environment. So a lot of really good food for thought here, because, you know, like was discussed, nobody is going to get everything out of their data center. Definitely not immediately, unless you're starting from zero and, and starting up a new company. So hopefully that was a good thought process for everybody. But with that, I'm going to finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Ariane, Christian, and Jim for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out our episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. If you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. And that does it. Thank you, guys. That was a great conversation. Awesome. Thanks.